Oh, thank you, Lord. Ooh, we have been, over the past few weeks, learning about worship. Uh, I think we knew a little bit about worship, but now we know about worship and its power. So I'm going to teach tonight on why worship God and how to worship God. But before we get started, I want to start with a little um, video called How Not to Worship God. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you have to listen to it now. Huh? Yes. Okay, not now. Um, I wanted to show this little video because 
in some instances, that's where the church is. They stand up as though they're in worship, but there's no power, no God in it. It's more about show. And true worship is not about show. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on in worship, that is no show. Uh, I'm going to try to get through this message real calm. But before I get deep into the message, I just want to say is by learning more about worship and by learning how to press into worship, it to me is indescribable. But the results are unbelievable. Um, here at Kingdom Ministries, over the past through few months, that power of worship has just steadily increased. Um, we used to come to Glory Night expecting that kind of power, but it has transcended Glory Night. Every service that we press into worship, whether it's sonship, <laughs> equipping the saints, train the rain, <laughs> pastor's conference, it is it, it truly is carrying over that power of worship, that power that comes with worship. And I'm kind of like Lee right at this moment. You know, after a strong worship, it's really hard to get up here and talk. But what I'm going to start with is, is this. Grammatically, worship can either be a verb or a noun. According to Webster's Dictionary, it's a verb form. Its verb form includes such synonyms as Esteem, exalt, revere, glorify, and respect. As a noun, it can encompass adoration, veneration, devotion, supplication, and invocation. Its actual definition, though, is reverent, honor, or homage paid to God. Ceremonies or services expressing such reverence, worship thus includes both an attitude and the actions that accompany and are motivated by it. So it's not just standing up here. You have to have the right attitude for worship. You got to want to worship. You got to want to want God's presence to show up. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery says worship is first and foremost a verb, an action. This is revealing because so many equate worship with either a place. They'll say, My place of worship usually a building or a feeling. That worship is an action 
becomes clear when we examine the roots of the Hebrew and the Greek words for worship. According to the New Bible Dictionary, both Hebrew, which is aboda, A-B-O-D-A, and the Greek, latria, L-A-T-R-E-I-A, originally signified the labor of slaves or hired servants. Therefore, the underlying concept of worship in Scripture is that of service. Service to God, to the one that's revered, and that's us, God, Jehovah, Christ. This understanding greatly expands the application of worship far beyond the walls of a building. It includes any activity done in service to and because of the one worship. So we sing. We praise, we pray, we clap, we dance, we exalt. We exalt. Mm. And that brings us to what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Todd, you can put up that picture of the tabernacle for me, please. Jesus made this comment about the need to worship our Father in spirit and truth, when he was talking to the Sumerian woman at the well of Jacob. In John chapter 4, John 4, 23, a time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true, genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these, as his worshipers. Hmm. So in truth, the scripture says that the word of God is truth. And that's in John 1, 14. The word Christ became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacle, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while mm, among us, and we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as an only begotten son becomes from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. Put the picture back up for me, please. This is just an example of the tabernacle. From the Old Testament. From the Old Testament. From the Old We couldn't get past where the menorah, the incense, and the bread. We can only get to the labor. Then the priest took over, took our sacrifice in, and then to the veil. When Jesus came and gave his life for us, that veil was torn so that we could enter in and worship directly. So, with Jesus as being the truth, he gave us the ability to press into worship. Jesus is the middle man, not the priest. In Psalms 119, 160, 
The sum of the word is truth. The total of the full meaning of all your individual precepts and every one of your righteous decrees endures forever. So who is the word? Jesus. And John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So, in that tabernacle, we go to Jesus. Sorry. We start here. On the chart, we start here with the praise. And it goes up to this whirly circle right here. Because we're pressing through. We're pressing through so that the Holy Spirit can come down and help us move further. So we really press past this. Then Jesus, here we are, we've moved over. Jesus comes down as praise and worship, as a sanctifier. The more we press in, the harder we press in, we become at the second space on the chart. Keep pressing in more. Press, press, press. The more we press in, here we are. Full. Worship. Full worship. And God comes down to meet us. We have pressed through that second heaven. This place, this dark spot, that Satan just wants us to, for 10 minutes, sing a happy song and sit down, listen to some word for another 10 or 30 minutes, and out the door. True worship takes pressing in. We have to keep pressing. Psalms 119, 105. Verse 105 says, your word is the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. So we want to keep pushing through that path. We want that lamp so we can get past this. In the Old Testament, specific details about what was required of the priests and the Levites before they could minister before the Lord of God. So, could you put that picture back up there, please? So, first of all, we were out here coming in, bringing our sacrifice to the, to the priest, and the priest had to go through this holy place before they could get here, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, we couldn't get any further than this because there was the doorkeeper. That was the priest. Now, when Jesus came, that doorkeeper was moved, this veil was torn, and we can go into the holiest place. Wow. Mm. Pressing in. 
one of the statutes, one of the things that was used by the priests was the Ten Commandments, because those were the laws. And when we did something wrong, we went through the priests. They had to bring our sacrifice and get accountability, take our accountability in, and then come back and tell us how we were judged. But when Jesus came, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. When our Savior died, which meant the believers now had, in spirit, direct access to God. To worship God in spirit, this means that when we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth, we are going against everything in the world. We cannot, on our own strength, do this unless the spirit of God leads us and gives us the ability to accomplish this feat. Our ultimate goal in life should be to take captive all our thoughts until they are the same ones that Jesus would have. <laughs> our ultimate goal in life should be to take captive all our thoughts until they are the same ones that Jesus would have as part of our worship. And that's 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, 3 through 6. And put that up in the New International Version, please. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take capture every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So, as we go into worship, we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to have pure thoughts. We have to learn to shut out the world. And sometimes we get distracted. That's kind of why I like, why I like the blindfold. It's because the blindfold kind of takes you in another place. Also, you have to learn to shut out sound. Focus on God. Focus on getting to God. Whew. So the process, it's like a conversion. You know, it's like it's like a conversion. You are changing from the world. You are converting to the Spirit of Christ. It's made possible, and that's made possible through the death of Jesus, which allows us to enter into the presence of the Godhead. The incredible destiny of those truly converted, the sons and daughters of God, is that they will exist for all eternity with God as immortal being. One of the things we can use as an example is the fifth commandment that states we are supposed to honor our mother and father. 
And by doing this in a physical sense, we are honoring God and the Father as the ultimate parent of all mankind. Who would, uh, whom would you go to for advice? When we were little, we went to our parents, but as we get older, we go directly to the Father in heaven through Jesus the Christ, our elder brother, for any ultimate answer. Now, what I put together, what I found, and I'm going to pass this out as a handout, is actually, uh, this is called the Levitical nature of the worship team. Since we are a church of reconciliation. In the early church, another point is the way worship is the way of love. We need to give God the Father and Jesus Christ the highest praise and honor with all our whole hearts and being. We need to obey everything that comes from the mouth of God, whether written or spoken. A lot of times when you are in worship, you can really hear God. You can hear him talking to you so plain. And one of the most important things about that is to be obedient to what he tells you to do. And work. A lot of times if you... I'm not... I'm trying to say I want to grab that. A lot of times if you are new in worship, and you get to that level, and you could hear God's words speak, speaking to you, hear God speaking to you, and if you don't understand that's him, you can miss the mark. Especially if it seems foolish. And, at, and, and I'll tell this about myself. At first, I thought it was foolish. I really did. But I could clearly, as I got deeper into worship, I could clearly hear him giving me instruction to do. One of the instructions he gave me one night was to go get you. One was to get you. One night, another one was I was to move over here and get Gene and bring him in front of the altar. And one night I had my hands like I felt like they were stuck on the altar. I couldn't move them. And lately in worship, this is what I'm experiencing, is I have to stand. My legs want to go. I'm serious. They, they really, really want to go. But I have to stand. And stand until God tells me to move. That happened to me Saturday night. I wanted to move. I was planted. I could not move. And my instruction was not to move until Gene moved. That was at the, almost the end of worship. It is just so powerful. And another thing that's happening to me is before I came here, I spoke in tongues. But lately in worship, 
it comes out and it's loud. And I did, and this is a testimony because I asked Gene about it. I asked him, why was I drawn to in front of the altar and why was I so loud? And he said, it was intercessory. He said, because I couldn't tell you what I said in tongues. I don't have the gift yet of understanding. All I know is it comes out. And he said that's intercessory. He said um, interceding. He also told me something else interesting. He said that my voice is piercing. And it's able to pierce that. I didn't know. All I knew, all I know is I want to worship. And all I know is if it's loud, I'm happy. Yeah. So that worship is one of God's greatest gifts. One that he has allowed us this secret of meeting him, of getting in his presence, of tearing, coming past that veil that Jesus died and tore down for us to get us in the Holy of Holies. Another point is we need to be in a state of continual repentance for our erroneous knowledge and behavior once we understand that it is contrary to what is written in the word. We are to give ourselves joyously to help others come to the same understanding. We are to fellowship with those who are also being led by the Holy Spirit of God. We are to conduct our lives to please God and realize that our body is the temple of God and that they make their dwelling within our hearts and minds. This means censoring the stuff that comes in. Censoring who we're around. Censoring sometimes even family members. Because they seem to be the ones that the enemy uses most often because they are closest to you. And they can prick your spirit. Worship. That's the key to drawing near to God. If we could go back to early church 2000, over 2,000 years ago, and just be in that atmosphere of worship. Because God did many things through worship. A lot of things where um, his people didn't even have to pick up a weapon. All they had to do was worship. And in Acts 42 through 47, it it kind of it kind of tells us in an in instruction. This is the amplified, and they steadfastly preserved, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper, 
and prayers and a sense of awe, reverential fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles, the special messengers. And all who believed, who adhered to and trusted in and relied on Jesus Christ were united and together they had everything in common and they sold their possessions, both their land, property, and their movable goods, and distributed the price among all, accordingly, according as any had need. And day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose, and in their homes they broke bread, including the Lord's Supper. They partook of their food with gladness, and simplicity and generous heart, constantly praising God, being in favor and goodwill with all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number, daily those who were being saved from spiritual death. So as we press into worship as a united body, think how many more people we can get saved. We may be small in number, but powerful in the Lord. I'm kind of skipping through this. And why is worshiping God so important? Anybody want to tell me what they think? I think that um, that worship is divine communication with God. Um, being able to you know, see your needs being met and being thankful for those needs being met, even though they have not been met yet. And worship is the divine communication between yourself and God. You said one good point, Charlena. Um, worship is a way of love. So to me, worship is expressing my love to a God of love. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. One of the things, you know, we have to consider there's nothing difficult about worship, Christian or non-Christian, pagan or holy. Every human being has desi was designed to worship and does worship something. They worship something. Uh, consider a group of sports fans watching, talking about the game. They worship the game. Consider a group of teenagers at a concert. They worship the music. We readily worship food, sports, art, music. We worship comfort, control, power, achievement, work, money, relationships. But God calls us to worship him. Mm. He commands it. He deserves it. He pursue, pursues it. And he will reward it. But God bestows his provision, grace, sovereignty, and power on those who worship him in spirit and in truth. But if you choose not to worship God, you need to understand that you are worshiping something else. That, you know, 
that's kind of that's powerful because because you know um I like Bob Dylan. I kind I like the music of Bob Dylan. Cuz Bob Dylan um if you some of his lyrics are really prophetic in a way because one of his songs is called if you got if you you're going to worship something one of his songs if you don't worship god you're going to be worshiping something and i found that interesting because this is just what that just said this is just what we just said okay what happens when we worship uh perhaps the best way to illustrate what happens when we worship is to look at uh, worship experience of one of God's prophets recorded in Isaiah 6. Um, and let's start with verse 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, in a vision, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the skirts of his train filled the most holy part of the temple. Above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two each covered with covered his own face and with two each covered his feet and with two each flew and one called to another and said holy holy is holy is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Hmm. This shows, first, worship brings an upward look, a glance at God on his throne in all his glory. It refocuses our view of God. It pulls our affections off our idols and puts them onto God. It causes us to remember how God how good God is, how big, kind, powerful, and loving he is, and how holy he is. So worship brings an upward look. Second one is worship brings an inward look. And verse 5 through 7, same chapter 6 of Isaiah. Then I said, woe to me. For I am undone, and and what is that? And ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For every eye have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim, heavenly beings, to me, having a live coal. In his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity and guilt are taken away, and your sin is completely atoned and for atoned for and forgiven. So looking, worship brings in inward look, so we have to look at ourselves. When you see God for who he really is, you start to see yourself for who you really are. You start seeing things in your heart 
and in your life that really didn't bother you before, but you begin to notice them. So if you start looking at yourself, that's those spots. But because worship changes you, that's true. So first, it makes you look up. Second, it makes you look inside. Then let's do verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. So worship also leads to an outward look, a personal response or action. When God, when God speaks to us in worship, a desire to be obedient to whatever God calls you to do. Genuine worship isn't just singing songs and getting a good feeling in your heart. Genuine worship is seeing God for who he really is, his power, his greatness, his holiness, his sovereignty, his love, and his compassion, and then giving him what he's worth, the best of your time, your talents, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. True worship is seeing afresh the tremendous worth of God and in response giving him the best of everything you got. Everything. That's kind of the sort of end of my teaching, except for this what I get this Levitical nature of the worship team. I thought this was interesting as I was trying to do some research on on worship. Um, since we are worship um, a ministry of reconciliation, this is kind of explains worship in its context. Um, and I love the scriptures. Um, in Second Corinthians five eight, God prepared and made us to fit us to fit perform the ministry of reconciliation. So that's where we are. But what I liked about it, it sort of went through the Old Testament. And then we have to realize, guess what? Old Testament was a shadow of the New Testament. So it, it just gives us instruction about worship, where our mindset should be. Um, I, I just gave you, it's because it had quite a few scriptures. Um, you can do this extra study on your own. Um, and then one of the things that I liked was it said on page four, in the italicized word, words, it says, although roles were different, they were always willing to help each other. The musicians, the singers, and singers functioned in other areas of the tabernacle work. They were very busy and definitely not lazy, strong worth ethic. They would... Um, cast lots as an impartial way of determining duties for a space of time, humility, and willingness to serve. So worship is not just about worship. It's serving, serving God, but serving one another with humility, helping one another. And um, we have um, sort of a worship team. Um, which Lee uh, asked if we could come, uh, certain ones could come early on, one hour early on Saturday. 
uh, and do an early worship while they're while y'all in prayer in the conference room. And it has made a difference. It has made a difference because when people come in now, instead of a lot of chatter and la 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 la, they come in in reverence. And when y'all come in, it's a different atmosphere that carries over into additional worship. And I love it. I love it. Any comments? No comment?